Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Otherwise, it is Talking Women with me. Nancy Richards on the team is Hazel Makwazini and uh, Skippers. We're with you through until 2 o'clock. And what we're doing today is celebrating International Women's Day, firstly with a word from the Deputy Regional Programme Director of UN Women about their global theme, their South African focus, and their specially written song. It's called One Woman. And from here at home, we'll be hearing a message for women from the Premier of Gauteng, Nomvula Mokonyani. Then in the other half, an artist taking part in the Infecting the City Festival here in the rather wet uh, Mother City. Also be hearing about proposals for the World Design Capital 2014 happening next year, obviously. And uh, an international hotelier shares her story in our My Story feature. So that's what we got lined up. So I hope you're going to be able to stay with us. Well, what's news is that across the world, bells are being told to end gender violence. And as I mentioned yesterday, here in Cape Town, bells will have rung at St. George's Cathedral around about 12 o'clock. And whistles would have been blown at the Central Methodist Church, also in the city centre, where I popped in this morning just before the service, and I had uh, a quick word with the dealer maker of Sanka Gender Justice to see if she was pleased with the turnout. We're pleased despite the weather. Uh, there's a significant number of men and particularly young men, uh, which are the people that we want to work with as an organization. Not saying that boys and older men are not important, but young men are probably our best bet at the moment in terms of working with them and trying to concentrate and change their attitudes and hopefully get them to begin to be more respectful in how they treat women and treat them as equals. I'm here to attend a stop violence campaign, which is a problem to our society. So I'm here to attend that, and I will blow this whistle to say stop this violence of women and child abuse. I think so. It is a good thing, an initiative. As we know that dominantly it's men who are doing the violence to women and child. So this is a right campaign. Yeah, I can blow it. Well, there you go. That was something to wake you up. One small whistle for womankind and uh, from that nice young man there at the Central Methodist Church where they were celebrating or at least uh, acting, I suppose you could say, against uh, gender violence. Well, I also had uh, just earlier this morning, I had a Facebook message a message from uh, Caroline Govender and she said she just wanted to share this very ordinary woman's story on this International Women's Day. I can't read it all, Caroline, but thank you for the message. It's a really strong story. She says, I know a wonderful lady. She's my hero of the day. She lives in a shack, but she didn't always. She has four children and she scrapes a living with at least three informal jobs that I know of. Every time we chat, I learn a little bit more about her. And the more I learn, the more I realize how amazing she is. Well, she goes on to expand on the story, but she says that this woman has a weekly budget that she calculates very carefully. She saves up to renovate her aging parents' home in the rural area. She can't get any accounts in any builder's stores because she doesn't have formal employment with official payslips. So she saves up her cash, and this she keeps in her shack in a dodgy neighbourhood, not safe. Lots more she she goes on to tell us about this lady, but what she does say, Caroline says, what can we do to help? And the answer is simple. She says, give women formal employment, whether they work as cleaners, tea ladies, nannies, house sitters, domestic workers, give them a contract, a salary slip, and pay the unemployment insurance fund contributions. Thanks for that message, Caroline. And uh, if you'd like to find out more, well, I'll try and uh, post it up on my on the Otherwise Facebook page. Otherwise, it was from caroloon.org, caroloon.org. Strong message. Listen to Otherwise on this auspicious International Women's Day. Stay with us. Replace traffic jams with cruise control. Jump aboard and live the good life on the starboard side. 
Don't miss the Sunday Times Travel Weekly Cruising Special and join us to experience the luxury, the entertainment and sophistication that is life aboard a luxury cruise liner. After all, there's no such thing as sea rage. Sunday Times. If it's out there, it's in here. If you are the one with hope for tomorrow, with an appetite for change, with passion for your country, join us in our drive to transform our society and nation, the new age, for a new perspective, for a positive outlook, for a united South Africa. The new age, one country, one paper. Get your copy for only three rand fifty. Government has declared 2013 a year of intensified fight against fraud, corruption and maladministration. We're establishing a national anti-corruption unit, a discipline code for all public servants, and many other new initiatives to strengthen our fight against this particular evil. Please join me by reporting all allegations of fraud and corruption to the National Anti-Corruption Hotline or to your nearest police station. Your cooperation is absolutely important in building a clean and accountable government to the people. The Ministry of Public Service and Administration, working towards a clean government accountable to the people. Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Celebrating, honouring all women on this International Women's Day right across the world. And in New York, the 57th session of the Commission on the Status of Women has been underway since the 4th of March, running through until the 15th. And the theme this year is A Promise is a Promise, Time for Action to End Violence Against Women. And this year, too, they've, uh, they're launching a song. The song is called One Woman. I might just give you some of the words of that in just a minute. We sadly couldn't get the whole sound, but it's really nice that they've put together this song. Well, to tell us a little bit more about uh, all of the above, we have on the line Deputy Regional Programme Director of UN Women, He's Dr. Syed Sadiq. Uh, Dr. Sadiq, nice to have you with us. Thank you very much, and on behalf of the United Nations Entity for Gender Equality and the Empowerment of Women, UN Women, I convey to all the listeners yes. a very happy International Women's Day. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it, it should be a happy International Women's Day, but I would imagine the 57th session of the Commission on the Status of Women, that there would be some furrowed brows. It seems maybe it's just because of uh, the situation that's happened, been going on here in South Africa and in India, there must be a lot of concern around violence against women. The International Women's Day, the 57th session of the Commission on the Status of Women, and this year's theme is on ending violence against women and protection and promotion of women's rights. And this week, this, this year's the governments will come together at the 57th session of the Commission on the Status of Women at the United Nations Headquarters from 4th to 15th of March 2013. The focus of this year's commission is the elimination and prevention of all forms of violence against women and girls. And the commission provides a great opportunity for governments to take action to end violence against women and girls. And it also provides an opportunity to look into the progress made in the area of promotion and protection of women's rights and take necessary initiatives towards advancing women's rights and gender equality. Elimination of all forms of violence against women and girls, I'm sure that's been on the agenda probably for most of those 57 years. Is there a concern that it, it seems to be getting worse? 
globally significant progress has been made mm. through the adoption of the international treaties such as the convention on the elimination of all forms of discrimination against women and also a number of uh, other treaties and declarations nevertheless much progress has been made however a lot need to be done in view of the alarming statistics that are reported yes the statistics on violence against women and girls are shocking globally between 15 to 75% of women in every community suffer from some sort of violence up to 70% of these violent acts are perpetrated by intimate partners ending violence against women is one of un women's key priorities and is a critical part of un women's mission to achieve gender equality and women's empowerment you say that there has been some progress there have been some successes like what give us some examples like for example there are a number of initiatives that were taken for example if we take the region zambia a few years before a woman unaccompanied or not accompanied by a man is not allowed to enter hotels any of the hotels in the country so through the activism and also the initiatives taken by the women's groups and also the activism of the judiciary that now the situation is that the women were able to have access to the hotels the same goes to the elections for example even to go for voting was has been a big issue but now we see that there is considerable progress made in the representation of women in politics and also in the decision making for example rwanda stands number 1 globally when it comes to political participation of women or women's representation in legislature the same way goes to south africa which stands 8th globally and mozambique 12th and angola 22nd and lesotho 38th and so on so there is a considerable progress made but still the statistics when it comes to violence against women are alarming and there are initiatives when we talk about south africa when it comes to initiatives they recently on the 10th december 2012 the government has established the gbv council which has the mandate to ensure the implementation of the laws especially the 365 day action plan of the government towards combating gender based violence Yes, I hear what you say. About, you know, in some cases, women's rights um, seem there seem to be some sort of um, improvement, but the violence really does seem to be getting worse. And whatever the initiatives may be, it seems that it's on the ground. It, things are not improving. How do you see that that could be addressed? And what has been proposed at the commission, for example? The commission is still uh, it's uh, it's ongoing. It's, it will uh, the commission sessions will be still held until the. 15th of uh, March 2013 and the commission is uh, deliberating seriously about the various strategies that are being devised uh, with regard to combating violence against women and it will also come out by the end of the session with its recommendations for action so that's also going on besides that while the commission's meetings are ongoing there are also side events a number of uh, side events that are held and in those side events also the best practices and the challenges are shared and discussed and you know solutions are found for example the so from south africa also a number of side events are organized at the new york commission on the status of women so the, these side events will also provide a platform and also guidance and besides that there are also a number of strategies that are developed and there are intense discussions that are ongoing with regard to particular situations uh, with regard to the harmful traditional practices and other aspects and uh, there will be clear guidance on the way forward i'm sure thank you
if I could just ask you one more question, I believe that there's a song has been released called One Woman. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? This song that is launched today on 8th March 2013 is a rallying cry that inspires listeners to join the drive for women's rights and gender equality. One Woman was written for UN Women, the global champion for women and girls worldwide, to celebrate its mission and work to improve women's lives around the world. From China to Costa Rica, from Mali to Malaysia, acclaimed singers and musicians, women and men have come together to spread a message of unity and solidarity. We are one woman. This year, International Women's Day focuses on ending violence against women, a gross human rights violation that affects up to seven in ten women and a top priority for human women. A commemorative are underway in all concerns of the globe. One woman reminds us that together we can overcome violence and discrimination. We shall shine. Join us to help spread the word and enjoy this musical celebration of women worldwide. Dr. Dr. Sadiq, if I could just ask you one question as a man. Um, you know, it seems that there's, there's quite a lot of calls to try and get more men on board to do something about ending the gender violence. Do you feel that there are enough men coming forward to try and prevent it? There is a significant shift, uh, thankfully, and you know, for long the work on gender equality and women's empowerment was carried mainly by women, and this belief has led many to assume that gender issues are only about women and of no concern to men and boys. This focus gladly has begun to change, and there is a growing interest in the roles and responsibilities of men and boys in relation to gender equality. As rightly stated by Madam Michelle Bachelet, the Executive Director of UN Women, violence against women is not solely a women's issue. It diminishes each and every one of us. We need to come together to end it. By coming together, by standing up against violence against women, we will come closer to peace, justice, and equality. So there is a need for men to be held accountable so that their actions and attitudes are examined also in the light of social and cultural norms Policies and practices are not just biology. Norms and policies and practices can and do change, and the time is now. And there is a need for more engagement of men. It is indeed. Dr. Syed Sadiq, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Dr. Sadiq is the Deputy Regional Programme Director of UN Women. Well, if you'd like to find out a little bit more about UN Women, you can check their website, which is UNWomen. Dot org. That's W-O-M-E-N, unwomen.org. And if you'd like to hear the song, it's uh, www.song.unwomen.org. Song.unwomen.org. I'm just going to read you. I have got the words here. I'm, just gonna, I'm sadly not going to be able to sing it for you because I know what the tune is. But it's one woman. I'm just going to read you a couple of the verses. It goes, In Kigali, she wakes up. She makes a choice. In Hanoi, Natal, Ramallah, in Tangier, she takes a breath lifts up her voice in Lahore, La Paz, Kampala. Though she's half a world away, something in me wants to say, we are one woman. You cry and I hear you. We are one woman. You hurt and I hurt too. We are one woman. Your hopes are mine. We shall shine. And so it goes on if you'd like to hear the whole song, www.song.unwomen.org. We're listening to Otherwise here on this International Women's Day. Well, uh, so much for the global theme there from UN Women. A promise is a promise. Is a time for action to end violence against women is their theme. But what does International Women's Day mean to women right here in South Africa? We have on the line Premier of Gauteng. She's Nomvula Mokunyani. Hi, Premier. Thank you very much for joining Hi. us. 
ICC and the Happy International Women's Day. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. What does it mean to us here in South Africa, International Women's Day? It, it, it is an opportunity for us to reflect and embrace the fact that we are part of the globe and uh, appreciate the, the successes that we have made as uh, the human race in, in protecting the rights of women and children. However, we must also be seen to be doing something different and drastic in protecting those that are most vulnerable, senior citizens, grandmothers, uh, young women, old, older women, who have now become victims of abuse. And the, the thing that is most important is to actually say rape is wrong, the rights of women are human rights, and let real men and real boys speak out. Let's take it to our families, let's take it to our communities, let's make it a societal responsibility. And anyone, any one of us who has a, a particular responsibility, make a difference. You know, you say that um, International Women's Day is the time for us to be recognizing that we're a part of the globe. But in terms of domestic violence, we're kind of a dark spot on the globe because I think we have statistics, uh, gender violence statistics, that are amongst the highest in the world. Is that, that's of a serious concern. What do you think? It's, 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 a, it's an embarrassing uh, uh, black mark, I mm, must say. Mm. And, and it's a reflection of our own history, including the issues of patriarchy, and in, amongst other things, that's the socialization in our society. In the dawn of democracy, everybody assumes that they have a right to do as and when they please on anyone. And this is exactly, no man has a right to abuse, nor is anyone has a responsibility of justifying the wrong thing that they do. The other important thing, we can't also hide behind culture, because all of us, are coming from cultural backgrounds where we are also being cared for, loved by our own brothers and sisters, fathers and grandfathers. What is important is to address the real societal issues that lead to this kind of situation, inferiority, power relations, and, 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 and issues that have to do with the individuals who are not dignified themselves and who want to take advantage of other people's vulnerability. But it just does not make sense for a father of a two-year-old to rape a two-year-old in the presence of a mother. Honestly, it has nothing to do with culture. It has nothing to do with the rights of women. It has to do with the sickness that this individual has. And after the fact, we must make sure that the criminal justice system acts in the best interest of the abused and make sure that the perpetrator has to explain himself not the, the abused being the one who must speak out as to how it has happened. And I think that's where we need to focus on as government, but we must now take it to our families, the issue of prevention. It has to be taken to our families. It has to be taken to our communities. It has to be done. Men must actually speak, and real men must say rape is wrong, not in our name. Mm. You know, it, it's been... Can you, sorry, can you hear me? Yes, um, it, you know, it's been suggested on paper, in our constitution and in various acts, that we have got plenty of opportunity to make this thing right, make this go away. But it's also been suggested that there's just simply not enough will. There's not enough uh, people at the top coming forward, uh, showing a sort of a will, a leadership. This is wrong. Do you feel that? Do you feel that too? Do you feel that some way we could change this around? One of the things that we have lost in South Africa, prior to democracy, our communities were highly mobilized. 
What has now happened is that everything is now being left to government. And I think that's what we need. We need strong civil society. We need to be there involved and being active. We need leaders of our communities, leaders of political organizations to speak out on this. And in the majority, they are men. And we need to make sure that they also take those platforms that they have to speak out on this thing. But it has to go with societal involvement. It has to be very inclusive. And I think we must go back and mobilize our street committees, our women's organizations, everybody. Let's make this a societal issue. It can't be left to women and NGOs that are dealing with gender-based violence. It must be a subject for every platform, for every institution. I mean, we just had now what is happening at University of Wichita's friend. Um, it's just something. We've also seen people who who are rich and wealthy, what they've done, uh, Pristoria, and this thing has got nothing. That's why we must then go and say, what exactly are we dealing with? And it can, we can only find a solution outside of the Constitution through community mobilization and dialogue. And let us all embrace the fact that not all men are bad. And let's all work together in finding an everlasting solution. You know, in the meantime, in the meantime, a lot of women in South Africa are not feeling safe. We had a program just the other day on how safe do women feel here in South Africa. Some of the statistics I remember, I think in your province, uh, 53% of women don't... 51%, have, yes. 51% yeah. have, been, um, mm. have been victims of violence, 77% in Limpopo. And I can't mm. help feeling that not only is this violence not okay, uh, the, the fact that women are not feeling safe okay, but it's, it's actually preventing women making any progress. Or, you know, just looking back on us being part of the international community of women, we've got some fantastic women in this country who are doing really wonderful things, but for so many other women, their progress is being impeded simply because of this violence. It's, it's a huge pity. It, it, it's such a pity because it even just takes away the energy and the, and the time that we should be looking at the development of women and children. And we now have to deal with this thing that is an embarrassment. But we can't hide it. I think what is important, South Africa must not hide this matter. Everybody must put it on the table and let us all deal with it. And like I'm saying, let's go out and engage in our structures, in our various community organizations, and let government processes also respond speedily, and they must also be there in the best interest of a victim. The statistics also show for our province, 79% of men who were interviewed said they have actually abused a woman or a girl in one way or the other in their lives. And remember, we are a young province here. So it actually means that these are young men who must actually be assisted. And, and I think our, our, our focus has been predominantly on women. It's time that we must pay attention to the boy, to the young man, to the father, to the husband, to the grandfather. And most importantly, and depend on those who are not involved in this to become ambassadors for change. In your, in your young province, what programs are in place or what initiatives are in place that you're really proud of, that you really feel are making a difference? We, we, we have done something that internationally have even been given an award in the province. We've got a one-stop centre, a provincial one-stop centre called Ikayale Temba. It's a centre for abused women and children. It, it has the National uh, Prosecutorial Authority, it has the police, it has forensic social workers, 
It has people who are training women on 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 projects, cooperatives, SMEs, and we we take women and their own next of kin that they want uh, to 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 bring with. And Ikaile Kemba has now been rolled out across the province. What we've also done, we've rolled out what we call green doors in our communities. The ward councillor, the CPF, the station commissioner work together with other women in our communities and they are, somebody volunteers his or her house to say, when there is a case of abuse, come to this house. And there's a telephone number in that house and when that phone rings directly on the station commissioner, they respond on time. These are own initiatives that we're doing in this particular province. We have already also uh, given 12 bursaries to our matriculants who passed last year for them to go and study to become forensic social workers because part of the problem with these issues in South Africa is that the delay on dealing with cases of rape and murder um, is something that is just not acceptable. And one of the problems is that our detectives need to be trained and retrained but we also need a number of forensic social workers, and this is part of what we are doing as a province, investing on our children so that then they can come back and provide these care skills that is not there in our, in our country. Premier, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of International Women's Day and very best of luck. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sissi. And let's all just say rape is wrong, and let real men speak out. And blow the whistle. Thank you. Take thank care. You. Premier of Gauteng, Nomvula Mokonyani, nice to hear uh, about the Ikaila Temba shelter there. And I, I guess we really do need more shelters for women, we need more social workers, more shelters for women, because certainly here in the Western Cape, I think there are many shelters for women that are struggling to get money. And with the statistics uh, being what they are, maybe we just need to sort of readjust where the money is going. You're listening to Otherwise right here on SAFM. Coming up in the other half, we're going to be hearing about the Infecting the City Festival happening here in Cape Town, word on proposals for the world-designed capital, and an international hotelier shares her story, so stay with us. 1.30 right now, time for the news headlines for the Sile. Thanks, Nancy. In the headlines, the ninth policeman accused of murdering taxi driver Mido Masia has joined eight co-accused in the Benoni Magistrates Court on Houtings East Rand as the group applies for bail. The officer was arrested this morning in connection with the Mozambican National's death in police custody last week. The Limpopo Department of Public Works says it's struggling to comply with the Employment Equity Act since it was placed under administration. And Kenya's presidential race is continuing to tighten with frontrunner Uhuru Kenyatta gaining just under half of the ballots counted four days after the vote. Analysts say this is raising the prospects of a tense runoff against his main rival, Prime Minister Raila Odinga. I'll be back with a full bulletin at 2 o'clock. Thanks, Cecilia. Well, right now you're listening to Otherwise, and still to come on the show, we're going to be hearing about the Infecting the City Festival, word on proposals for the world design capital, and an international hotelier shares her story. But let me tell you what's coming up on afternoon talk with Ashraf Garda just after the news at 2 o'clock, well, in respect of International Women's Day. They're asking the question, are South African women still falling behind in leadership roles? They're going to be talking to President of the Business Women's Association, Kunyolala Mapisa, also to Commissioner Lulama Nare from the Commission for Gender Equality. Follow up on their special assignment, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, has it brought justice to victims? And in the spotlight around about 3 o'clock, they're going to be talking to Salani Tambo, actress, public speaker, writer and image consultant. That's afternoon talk, and that's coming up right after the news at 2 here on SAFM. 
Well, in a minute, as I say, we'll be chatting to an artist from Infecting the City and also hearing about proposals for the Cape Town World Design Capital 2014. So if you're interested, keep your ears wide open. But first up, South African-born Mrs. Beatrice Tolman was voted European Hotelier of the Year for 2012. She's also president and founder of the Red Carnation Hotel Collection of Hotels, who've recently jumped up the list of the UK Sunday Times' 100 best companies to work for, up to number 26, so well done them. Well, they have 14 hotels spread over the UK, the US, and right here in South Africa, so she's got quite a bit on her plate to keep her busy. But recently I spoke to her here in South Africa at the launch of her book, A Life in Food. We chatted at the 12, well, we didn't actually chat at the 12 Apostles Hotel, we chatted on the phone, but that was where I met her. I spoke to Beatrice Tolman to hear how it all began in our My Story feature. The first restaurant that we opened together was in the Nugget Hotel in Johannesburg. We started there and then about 18 months later we opened uh, the Colony Restaurant in the Hyde Park Hotel which was in Craig Hall, and uh, that was all his ambition, to create a very famous restaurant, which he had admired from an article he read about the Colony Restaurant in New York. So he wanted to do something on those lines, and uh, that's how it all started when we went on to our second hotel, where, of course, the food became very, very good and very busy because we then ran three restaurants out of the one kitchen and did weddings and all sorts of functions and gourmet food uh, when we had the Circle Epicurean Gourmet Society come for dinners and the gourmet societies then we had to do very fancy food and unusual food so that that was another challenge for us and then we started doing cabaret in the colony and we brought out a lot of artists from all over the world who did cabaret for two weeks or a month and that also became very popular and we really were very very busy day and night you also seem to have been fairly fearless i mean people would blanch at what you were doing now because i suppose in those days it was very different but you said that you had no training did your husband have any training did he apart well, from he passion had a, he had a, a little bit of training because he used to go and help his mother because his parents had a small hotel in johannesburg as well and when he was doing pharmacy and he used to go and help his mother at lunchtime and see what really good food tasted like and how it was presented because his mother had a flair for food and she ran the, the restaurant in this palace hotel. So that's where he got his first love for food and his creativity came through then, you know, because that's when he was inspired to do something even better than that. And where did yours come from? I mean, as a trained nursery school teacher, what did you, what did you really know about food? <laughs> Nothing much. I started in my first position at the Nugget Hotel, 18 years old, and I started, uh, and I just said, I'll do the cocktails. And that was a matter of a fruit cocktail out of a can, or a crayfish cocktail when the chefs gave me the crayfish mix, and hot chocolate, ice cream and hot chocolate sauce. That was the beginning. <laughs> but I, I learned a lot over the years. I'm quite sure you did, and I'm sure your customers did as well. Were they very critical? Did you get much feedback? Well, we did. What I always used to do was go and look at the plates coming back. And if the plates came back empty or empty, if you knew they were enjoying their food, if they came back and they hadn't eaten too much, I would always ask the waiter, what is the matter with this from table such and such? Why did they not enjoy their meal? And so your guests really guide you, you know, to know whether they're enjoying the food or not. 
and you learn all the time, you know, how to flavor foods and to see the presentation. I mean, it's something that you have to perfect, but experience does help you on that. There's a huge amount of competition out there nowadays. There is. There really is. But then, there, was there much competition? I mean, were you just free to do whatever? You mentioned that you just started cabaret. Why not? Let's just do it. Was there much competition, really? Oh, yes, always. There were a lot of restaurants in Johannesburg at that time, not as many as there are in competition today because, you know, food has become such an exciting hobby of people's. But there was a lot of competition, and it had to be good, and you had to keep your standards up. And you would get feedback from the waiters as well because they'd come and tell you, oh, so-and-so enjoyed the food or they'd give you some comment, which helped you to know whether you were doing the right thing. We always looked to try and present them in an unusual way. I used to serve curry chicken in a coconut shell, and I used to do lots of different things like that. It, it sets your creativity, sort of stimulating it. Yes, when you say back in those days, I'm just looking at your book, and you've got a little write-up here in the Rand Daily Mail, 1955. Yes. Um, right. <laughs> so you kept all your cuttings I mean then did you see yourself I think that you hadn't really planned yourself to stay on and you went on to have your children was it your intention to stay on in the restaurant oh yes because you know we couldn't afford to to get chefs from Europe which are very expensive we couldn't afford that so we just trained a lot of local people and some of them were very talented but they wanted to learn and so we learned together really but I learned to do so much by just studying recipe after recipe and you begin to know what, what things should taste like how they should look and then my husband had a great eye for food and if he thought something wasn't being prepared the right way he'd say to me you know that shouldn't be served like that he'd keep an eye on things as well and come in and give me a comment if he felt things weren't exactly right Moving on, you suddenly then had four children. Well, I mean, you know, move, right. moving a little bit on. How did you cope with that? I mean, it the children brought up in the kitchen. Easy. No, it wasn't <laughs> easy. Three of my children were really very good because they all got born on a Sunday because Sundays we were closed Sunday nights. I always laughed because I thought, what am I going to do that happens during the week? Anyway, they were born on Sundays, and it wasn't that easy because I had four under eight. And, you know, you get out, you get home very late, one or two o'clock in the morning, and then this one's crying, and that one has to get up, and then I have to get them ready for school, etc. But I spent every afternoon with the children. I'd fetch them from school or do the lift schemes, you know, the usual things that young mothers have to do, and always play with the children, give them their dinner, bath them, put them into bed, and then go back to the hotel in the evening at about 7.30, back to the kitchen while my husband was in the front in the bar or just really being the maitre d' in the hotel. Although we had maitre d's, you know, he knew everybody and would say, you know, he'd arrange the tables before people came. So he was in the front and I was in the back, and we sort of worked very well together that way. And the irony of it is that, I mean, not only did you have all these children and husband in the restaurant to look after, most, you say in your book also, most of the kitchen staff called me mommy. They did. <laughs> they did. We had wonderful Indian waiters and, and maitre d's, and they'd come in and they'd say, oh, mommy, can we have table six, you know, something like that. And I used to laugh because, but I think they just used that as a form of respect. Nonetheless, you know, it's sort of indicative of the fact that it's not just about worrying about the food. When you have a hotel, you've got to worry about the staff as well as the guests and the customers. Yes. There's, there's a whole lot of things to worry about. 
You, the two of you went off, you went on travels to get inspiration, you went to New York, you yes. went to London. What were you looking to do and what is your vision for your hotel? Then, well, it, uh, it, it was to learn all the time. And, you know, we thought we were going to, that we would learn a lot by traveling, which we did. And, you know, you go with your eyes open, you're looking for new ideas, you're looking for decor, you're looking for everything that you can learn from. So it was always very helpful. And then, you know, over the years we entertained so many wonderful artists, and we also turned it into, I would think, was the first boutique hotel. Several years later, we built onto the 17-room hotel where the colony was and the other restaurants in that hotel. And we had many of the most famous stars and film stars staying in the hotel because I think at that time they used to, people said, oh, you've got to stay at the Hyde Park Hotel. That's where everybody stays. And we had Marlene Dietrich staying there and so many people that probably they don't know of today. But we had Petula Clark, Trini Lopez. I could go on and on and on. And all of these people were so kind. When we traveled, they used to entertain us and take us to what they thought was the nicest restaurants, you know, in New York or L.A. or something like that. So all the time you're learning and picking up ideas. And it's, it's very good because your mind is open. And how so, many hotels do you have now? Fourteen. How do you cope? Well, you know, I'm very involved and I love what I do. It takes a lot of time, but... It's, it's my passion, you know. I never thought this was going to be my life when I first got married. It's just been so exciting, and it's very creative, and I, I love that part of it. It's challenging, but my most important role that I feel I play today is encouraging young people, and I always try and tell them when I'm talking at our monthly tea parties at hotel, you know, wherever I am and which hotel, I often try and tell them how anybody can do anything. I often say how I started, and... I love to give them the opportunity to rise and grow in our business. And we have a wonderful training department, a wonderful HR department. We've won many prizes around the world for our training. And it, it gives enthusiasm to the staff to think, well, I can do anything. I can be anything if we're given the opportunity, you know. And so that is what I really do the most of today. It's my passion to teach young people and give them hope because it's, it's, it's you know, such drudgery. You go to work every day and there's nothing interesting that happens and you don't look forward to your day of work, wherever, whatever business you're in. You know, many times it's boring. And I try and give them that spark and hope and that interaction with the guests that are going to make them feel their day was enjoyable and they achieved something more than just, you know, eight hours of work. We can't let you go without a couple of recipes because that's what your book is all about. Your children say that this, your signature dish, however, is honeycomb ice cream. Do you see it as your signature dish? Well, it certainly is one of my signature dishes. It's followed me everywhere. I started it in all of the, those early days at the Hyde Park Hotel, the Colony, and I, it's featured in all of our menus. And people just love it. And, of course, the cheesecake is very popular and the chicken soup. You know, I get a review every day of every restaurant and what dishes they sold. I read these every day and then you just see how many of this or how many of that were sold in the restaurants. And the chicken soup is one of our favorites anyway because it's a homely sort of dish. And travelers, you know, business people, they, they seem they're coming home and there's something that tempts them, like having a really homemade plate of chicken soup. And all these years on, are you still to be found in the kitchens of the hotel? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I'm involved with all the menus and all the chefs, and uh, all of our hotels have some of my recipes and some of the chefs' recipes because chefs have their own ideas, 
and they want to be a little bit different and creative. And my dishes are more comfort-style food. And there's a good balance there because you give your guests a choice of what they want. You, they can have something of anything and everything. Well, there you go. In our My Story feature, that was Beatrice Tolman, president and founder of the Red Carnation Hotel Collection. 26 on the list of 100 best companies to work with, which is not half bad. Here in South Africa, the hotels are the Twelve Apostles, Bushman's Kloof and Durban's Oyster Box. And if you'd like to read more about the honeycomb ice cream and the chicken soup, her book, A Life in Food, is available at the Red Carnation Hotels or also on Amazon.com. And all the proceeds are going to the Amy Beale Foundation. Isn't that nice? Listen to Otherwise. Stay tuned. Otherwise with Nancy Richards. Well, right here in Cape Town, the Infecting the City Festival is underway. And amongst the many artists taking part is Adriana Roos. And we have her on the line. Tell us a little bit about her production, her performance, which is called The Commuter. Well, we've got her on the line. Hi, Adriana. Hi, hello. Nice to have you with us. The Commuter. What's, yes. it, what's it all about? Okay, it's basically an interactive um, photography project where I'm asking questions about um, the commuters um, using trains into the city of Cape Town. So I'm going to set up my performance by the train station in Adelaide Street, and it's basically going to—I'm um, going to approach people with my camera and kind of do a creative research project, um, asking them where they're travelling from. Where are they from? Why do they come into the city of Cape Town? And using this information, together with the photos, I'll build um, a visual map kind of indicating the routes that people travel into the city. Wow, that would be a really useful piece of research for for the city. I imagine they'd be very interested to hear about that. Um, Interactive, so you will go to people with your camera, with a microphone, and ask them what their experience has been like? Yes, it will be it will be um, just a normal film camera. It won't be a video camera, okay. so the, um, uh, it won't have any any microphone or so. So it will be very um, almost unusual in a sense that it won't be um, a official interview. It would um, be something very um, natural, very almost like intervening into their into their space and into their um, their routine. So kind of intervening into that. Yes. Why, Adriana? Why, why do you want to know about what it's like being a commuter into Cape Town? I think um, I, I travelled by train for a few months when I didn't have a car and I just began to, to look at my city differently, thinking there's this big majority of people that doesn't live in the CBD but travel into the city. And it's almost like there's this disconnection between the people living in the city bowl and the people living in the surrounding areas of Cape Town and I wanted I just started asking myself these questions who are these people where do they come from and kind of looking at the identity of what it means of being a Cape Townian and how we how we view that so that's where it all started it'll be a really interesting exercise because we did a program the other day on how safe do women feel here in South Africa and one of the places that women in particular felt most unsafe was on public transport Yes, I think that would be um, very interesting as well to to get that perspective from people to to see um, what what they what how they experience their their kind of commute in and out of the city. I mean, when you were travelling by train yourself, what was your experience? I I felt um, most of the times I felt very safe and I um, I didn't have any fear um, on the trains, but I'm also 
somebody that would take a lot of risks like that, and it's almost like my fear radar is a bit lower than probably the normal normal um, citizen. I, I lived in yeah. in um, yeah in Mexico, so there it was the wild west, and I kind of adjusted to to being um, yeah just being a bit more brave, I guess. <laughs> maybe less about your fear radar being low, but maybe your trust radar is high. One of the things about travelling, particularly on the train, is that you're very connected to everybody else. I mean, you know, one does sort of feel like here you all are together. Is, is that part of what you're looking at? I think, yeah, I definitely want to create an awareness amongst the commuters as well that maybe there's people travelling the same routes um, and they kind of see each other and know about each other but don't really know each other's names or stories. And I think um, what I'm trying to, to look at is the story behind the people as well and the story of their lives, like what do they do, who are they, and kind of mapping those details into into the routes and into the map that I'm going to build as well. How do you anticipate it working? Because, you know, you, I'm sure you would be not surprised if it, there were some people who were perhaps a little bit hostile or maybe not very keen, maybe they didn't have time, um, and maybe quite cross if they've had a bad experience on their train. I think I'm, I'm expecting a whole lot of different reactions. I think depending on the times that I would approach people, well, I guess in the mornings when people are rushed, they might not want to, to stand and talk for a while. So it's going to be very experimental just seeing um, different, how different people would react to me stepping into their space. But also because I'll be actually working in the train station, I, I expect some people to approach me as well and to, to kind of um, be interested in asking me what, what are you doing and why are you doing this because the map will be, be growing throughout the week, so I'll have it with me at the train station, and I'm, I'm expecting people to, to be attracted to that as well and approach me. So I think it's going to be a very interesting exercise. Yes. That, you know, it's one of, the thing, one of the features of the Infecting the City Festival is that all sorts of strange things <laughs> happen on the streets of Cape Town. Is this your first time? This is my first time taking part in Infecting mm -hmm. the City, yes. So I'm very, very excited and very honoured to be part of the, the artist group. Any other things, any other of the festival events that you're looking forward to seeing? I'm, yeah, I'm very excited to see some of the um, installations. There's an um, a, a artist um, doing an installation um, against the, the, um, on the corner of Adderley and Whale Street and just projecting like um, images of the harbour of the city of Cape Town. And, um, yeah, there's, there's lots of um, different... I wish I can actually be at all the... All the it's yeah. It sounds wild. I know there's going to be a giant puppet flash mob. There's going to be a light symphony on Church Square. There's going to be a sprawling glow stick. There's all sorts of wonderful things. Well, Adriana... Um, I'm just going to warn everybody, if they see this strange chick standing there with her camera, this is what it's all about. I wish you every success with that project, and uh, look, good, good luck. Thanks so Thanks much, a lot. Nancy. Cheers. Thanks. Adriana Ruth, just one of the people doing all sorts of wacky and wonderful things, as you would only expect in Cape Town. Infectingthecity.com, that's the festival. If you'd like to find out the full lineup and just be forewarned is forearmed, you can find out exactly what's going on www.infectingthecity.com, infectingthecity.com.
What a way of wonderful things happening here in the in the city. As you probably know, next year Mother City is going to be very much in focus as it's going to be the world design capital for 2014. For which proposals have been invited? Well, we have on the line, very pleased to have CEO of the World Design Capital 2014, Elaine Riesberg. Hi, Elaine. Hi, Nancy. Good to be on the air with you. Yes, and I'm sure you're very excited about that which is to come next year. Yes, I was almost breathless about all these things that are going on in Cape Town. There's so many superb events, but for World Design Capital, we have a whole year of programming that we have to fill. And, Nancy, I'd like to remind your, your listeners that we won the bid because when they came and sniffed us over, it was obvious that there was something going on here almost at community level. Mm. You know, we think about design as being beautiful objects, beautiful things, a beautiful building, but in fact it's not that. It's how we design our lives day to day. So even the train stations, the trains, those commuter systems, those are the things that, that are the fabric of our lives in Cape Town. So 2014 offers us an opportunity to throw open that, that whole definition of design to look at the, you know, the whole process and how it impacts people on the ground. You talk about things happening at community level, which is true, which is sometimes a good thing, and sometimes it's a little bit um, disempowering. I'm just thinking about young uh, Adriana that we're talking there Mm. about, you know, people on the trains. How is it for them? How are they able to impact? Maybe they're having a good experience, maybe not a good experience. Mm. What sort of proposals are you looking at to come from regular people? Um, you know, really we put them all up on the website. As you mentioned earlier, we opened our public call for submissions last week. And we've chosen four themes because it can go so wide that it will make your head spin. So we'd like the people of Cape Town or the design community, although you don't need to be a designer to figure out that some parts of the city don't work for you. So mm. there are four themes. The one is called African Innovation, Global Conversation. So we'd like to hear about things that were kind of developed here but may have gone other places already, but it also opens the submission to the whole continent. It's very, very wide, but African innovation, global conversation. Our second one, we really want to talk about bridging the divide, uh, and I use the, the physical example of the fan walk in Cape Town, where uh, the business community got together and said, hang on, guys, there's no way for us to get to the stadium in a festive or sort of united way, so let's build this thing. So bridging the divide could be something that happens in a physical infrastructure sense, but also many of the things that go on in communities that that put reconciliation back on the map. Mm. There's some extraordinary things that go on in Cape Town about creating safe uh, safe spaces, things like that. So we'd like to hear about that. It doesn't have to be new to be submitted. Okay. Okay. And then our third one is today for tomorrow, and young people get really excited about this because it is about sustainability. Last week at the Design in Darba, there were several amazing ideas that have come out of the design community about how to take better care of our planet and our people. And then the fourth one is the one that you would, would think, if you think of the word design, it's about beautiful spaces or beautiful things. And in our case here in the Cape, obviously includes food and wine as well. So uh, there's an online submission form. It's really simple. Um, you jot down what your project is. You choose one of your themes, and you hit the send button. And um, we've already had 30-plus uh, submissions. We thought that a lot of the uh, people would be resting up after the design in Darba because it was so incredible. But they were certainly awake over the weekend sending us submissions. So we have time until the 5th of April. And if this uh, stimulates your creative juices, there's another call for submission in July. So if you don't get, a, get to go the first time, there will be a second opportunity. Okay. And if you like the sound of somebody's submissions, what will happen? We can support them. We have, um, you know, because we're driving focus on design with Cape Town as the backdrop, 
We can uh, include it in all our media platforms. We can get the international journalists who are here in droves to start focusing on this kind of innovation, on this kind of idea that's generated locally. So, we're, you know, I wish I could say that I could uh, sign a check for every single submission. I can't say that right now. But we do know that, big, um, that, that wonderful ideas tend to attract uh, good sponsorship. So we hope to help with that process. In the long term, some of these good ideas may be good ideas for a year. Some of mm. them may be good ideas for a week. Some of them may be good ideas forever and mm. possibly even for the rest of the country. Are you, are you sort of um, looking at the pro- proposals in that sense as well? You know, we're very, um, very mindful that this has to have a legacy, that it can't just be a circus that hits town and then leaves again. So we're looking at multidisciplinary or cross-disciplinary initiatives. Uh, typically people that are either architects, engineers, and also town planners. We very much want uh, Capetonians to become uh, critical consumers of their design environment. So we'll look at projects that combine multiple disciplines. Many of the issues, um, the regu- you know, regulation issues and things like that are things where professional uh, entities have worked possibly in isolation, and that's so 90s. You know, um, the, the whole buzz around design process thinking is that people of multiple disciplines make better solutions than just a single discipl- uh, discipline. So there are a couple, we're going to tackle two big really hairy projects that um, I won't talk about just yet where we can Take a look at some of the um, issues that we've driven by every day and think, if only we could do that better, or Mm. let's get some good thinking going on that. So um, watch the space. But we do know that they're brilliant ideas in the community because they were in the bit book. So we'd like to hear from them again. You mentioned challenges, and there are Mm. many. I mean, it was raining this morning. It hasn't rained for ages, and everybody Mm. goes into a complete flat spin. Mm -hmm. Traffic is a challenge. Sustainability is a challenge. Water is a challenge. Uh, So we're looking at... As well as the fun stuff, I suppose yeah. we're having talked about the infecting the city, but as well as the fun stuff, we're looking at some fairly serious yeah. ways of making Cape Town work better. Yeah, we have we sit with so many of the intractable prom- um, problems of the emerging markets or the or emerging you know city states, rapid urbanisation, people streaming into Cape Town, the infrastructure wasn't built at the time for this number of people. We see it on the trains, on the roads, but also bigger things like how do we create low-cost housing? There's some brilliant ideas out there, but how do we scale? And I'm hoping that with World Design Capital that we, we shine a, a global you know, searchlight on these things, focus on them, and see if we can't give things momentum that are sitting there, you know, that just need more attention and more funding. So can Jack or Joe Soap or Jill or Joe Soap um, uh, enter something? They don't have to be a, a, a registered designer. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So anybody, there's, any Cape Tonian, anybody anywhere in the country? Well, you, that first theme is an African, you know, sort of catch-all. And, of course, we, we have a very uh, strong design community in Gauteng and in other places in the country, so we were hoping that we'll hear from them. We're also engaging more directly with the, uh, the design communities there because we'd love to see some of their work here. Cape Town's the showcase. Africa sort of the, the big topic. Okay, so Gauteng Design Community, if you're listening, <laughs> listen carefully. And um, it goes for Limpopo, it goes for um, Durban, it goes for right across the country. Mm. So I suppose the most important thing is how. If anybody would like to uh, submit a proposal, the website is? WDCCapeTown2014.com. Okay, WDCCapeTown2014.com. And, and find us on Facebook, we're wdc 2014 and follow us on Twitter, WDC2014-2014. Okay, 2014 okay. Twitter. 
Perfect. Right, I, I imagine so you're a pretty busy lady, so we're going to let you go. <laughs> and happy International Women's Day. Indeed, yeah. yes, and I'm sure you'll be looking for lots of things that, uh, you know, that, that uh, are focused around women as well. Yeah, thank you Elaine, very much. Elaine, lovely. Take care. Thanks. Bye. She is the CEO of the World Design Capital, Elaine Riesberg. Well, if you'd like to know a little bit more, maybe submit your proposal. WDCCapeTown2014.com is the website. WDCCapeTown2014.com. And don't forget where.